morning, like, I don't even know what else to start with. I get up here and it's like, good morning. What else do you say, right? I even put it in my sermon notes. If you ever look at my sermon notes, which are all available online, by the way, you can actually go to the website and listen to the sermon and or read it because I transcript it out. So it's a little bit like reading a really well-written book, I'm sure. (laughs) Probably never any mistakes or typos or spelling errors. Uh, But right at the very beginning of it, every time it says good morning, because I believe that it is a good morning anytime we get together and Jesus is present, right? Uh, I forget how good of a morning it is when I wake up and Jesus is present and it's early or it's raining or it's snowy and nasty outside. I forget, but every morning I wake up with Jesus is a good morning and every morning I wake up is with Jesus and he's with you too. So this is awesome. Here we are in week uh, seven or nine? I got seven on here. What week is this? Does anybody know? Nine. I wrote seven in here several times, so this is all messed up already. It's going good. Um, this is week nine of our series on the Apostles' Creed, and normally about now we would be reciting the Apostles' Creed together, but I'm not 100% confident that they have all the slides in. Do you have all the Apostles' Creed slides? It's not your fault. It's, we've had technical things. He's just making sure. We've had technical things all morning, and we've, yes, we've got it all. All right, well, let's recite the Apostles' Creed together. Is that cool with you guys? Um, traditionally in the church, now I know we've like, stand up, sit down, sit down, sit down, fight, fight, fight. Um, so don't sit down. Yeah, we're going to have you stand up because this is what we believe. We stand for this, and uh, we invite you to stand whether you believe it or not, um, but we're going to recite this together. You don't have to say out loud anything you disagree with, um, but we're going to take on one of the hard ones today. So, all right, here we go. Apostles Creed. And wait, let's try not to sound like the Borg. You guys with me? I believe in God the Father, the Almighty. You know, we're like, let's just look like some, some Pentecostal feeling, Doug. Come on. All right, here we go. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life ever afterwards. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Yeah, that was some feeling right there. It's exciting. It's exciting how something that is ancient can move from dusty and dry to alive, right? When we understand it, when we know what it's saying, it becomes alive. Um, and this week we get to the series you've all been waiting for, right? This, the sermon you've all been waiting for. Like, with bated breath, with bated breath, the Holy Catholic Church. Let's hear it a woohoo for the Holy Catholic Church. Yes, I have gotten more comments on this one line of the Apostles' Creed than any of the others. Like, from day week one, like, Pastor, I can say anything but that one. In fact, you could put, I believe, in pink bunny rabbits into that phrase, and I would be happier with that than the Holy Catholic Church. And it's because, um, it's because, um, this is the problem. I'm just going to my notes, and the reason this says week seven is because it's the notes from week seven. So, here we go. I'm doing really good. This is like, my introduction was right there. All right, so the Holy Catholic Church, 
page, not page five. Here we go. I'm in the right sermon notes. Do you love technology? Um, anyway, so people have been like upset about this thing, like put in bunny rabbits or anything else, but Holy Catholic Church. And uh, because, but this morning, I really hope that I will move you toward what we've been trying to do with this whole series, right? Move you toward believing in what this says. And I want to move you toward believing in the Holy Catholic Church too. So this morning, I brought some images for you, some images of Mary and her sacred heart, the Jesus sacred heart of Jesus. And there's Mary and Jesus. And, and you guys are feeling worshipful, right? This is the Pope, and I don't know what's going on there. That's a little weird. I don't even know what's happening with that. You guys feel, yeah, he's kissing his knee. You you guys feel spiritual now? Feel holy and Catholic? This is what we think about when we think of the Holy Catholic Church. It's these sorts of traditions. And I'm not mocking the traditions of the Catholic Church because they've been deeply rooted in history and experience and even from Scripture to some degree. Um, if you're wondering what's going on, if you're like, I have no idea why you're, like, why this Holy Catholic Church thing is a big deal. I didn't think this was a Catholic Church. I thought it was Foursquare, but, you know, whatever. I'm willing to go with it. Uh, there are a lot of people in our church that grew up Catholic, like Catholic Church Catholic. These people, they grew up going to catechisms, which is a, a Sunday school class that every kid has to take. It says, this is what we believe. They teach the Apostles' Creed. You go and you learn about communion. You learn about robes and all these things. And for them, growing up in this Catholic way, this specific way of praying, this specific way to pray to the saints, which is one of the things they do, they pray to the saints. It's a little bit like relationship triangles, right? You guys know relationship triangles? It's like it says, I need to say something to dad, but I can't say it to directly, so I'll say it to mom, and mom can tell dad. And it's kind of like that. This is relationship triangling prayer. And, you know, some of you guys are like, I could never do that because Jesus, we, being Jesus, we have like direct access to God. It's so wrong that they do that but you're okay doing that at home. Just saying. Okay. Just saying. So we're really not comfortable. A lot of people who grew up with this sort of tradition, these kinds of prayers, who've read the Bible and say, look, I see things differently now. I am not comfortable with saying that we are the Holy Catholic Church because in Jesus, we no longer need to talk to God or talk to somebody else to talk to God on our behalf. Jesus opened a way to direct access And when I say the Holy Catholic Church and people are thinking these things, this is just one of the many things that's coming into their heart and mind. They're thinking about a specific brand of Christianity, a specific way of accessing God through Jesus, thinking about an experience, and for who, for many people, that experience is meaningless, it's dry, it's dead, and it's even unbiblical to some degree. Right? This is what people are thinking. This is why they got upset with this this statement. But when the creed declares that Christians believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it's not saying that we are all subject to Catholic theology, that we have to follow the Pope on Twitter, although I do recommend following the Pope on Twitter because the Pope is awesome. Um, It's not just his hat. He's a cool guy. Um, I hope I can get to the sermon today. I keep business bunny trails. Did you guys see in the news this last week that, that Lamborghini gave the Pope a car? I mean, first of all, how can I get to be Pope, right? Somebody give me a Lamborghini. And, but, so the Pope isn't into fancy cars. You know what he did? He took a big silver marker, he signed the hood of it, and it's being auctioned off. And all the money from that car is going to girls who are the victims of ISIS violence. I like the Pope, okay? Because if you gave me a Lamborghini, I'd have driven the thing, right? (laughs) You have the chance to buy the Pope Mobile, guys. And John, I know you're going to want to get in on the bidding, so check that out online. Anyway, all right. So it doesn't mean, if we, because we say that this is the Holy Catholic Church, that doesn't mean that you have to be subject to the Pope's rules and authority or follow him on Twitter or call me father. 
Um, only my kids I expect to do that, okay? The rest of you can just call me, hey, you. What this means, what the, what the, the piece of text, the piece of uh, Apostles' Creed means, is that Christians, as Christians, we buy into this idea that we are a part of what God has been doing since the beginning of time, through all of creation, and will complete someday in Revelation when he is creating a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people set apart, the kingdom of God, or as we like to call it, the church. So this morning, if you've been struggling with that phrase for the last eight weeks, eight plus weeks, I just want you, first of all, to receive some grace this morning. It's okay. Don't let, it, don't let that thing distract you. Just receive God's grace this morning. And then I want to invite you also to maybe offer a little bit of that grace to our Catholic brothers and sisters. To offer a little bit of grace to people who don't think like you. I mean, a few weeks ago we had a chat about judgment. Remember that one? That was loads of fun to talk about. And in that, that discussion on judgment, I made this statement. I said that people are notoriously terrible judges, right? We can't see or know or understand everything like God can. So I'm going to ask you this morning to lay down your judgment at the Catholic Church. I'm going to ask you to set it aside, no matter what your experience might have been, to set the judgment of the church itself aside and to think about what God is trying to create in this world and how you're really a part of it. Because here's the thing. Whether you like it or not, you are a part of the Holy Catholic Church this morning. And that goes for them too. Whether they want to recognize other parts of the church or not, we too are parts of the Holy Catholic Church. So let's look at what I mean when I say that, okay? What do I mean when I say Holy Catholic Church? Turn in your Bibles to Revelations chapter 7. Revelation is the last book of the Bible, so if you're not familiar with flipping Bible pages, it's okay. It's in the very end. You just turn to the back, and there might be a bunch of weird notes and stuff. Keep going until you get something that looks like lots of words and columns. Um, and then you'll find big numbers. Those are chapter numbers, chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12. What the book of Revelation is, it's, it's a recording of end things. We have this guy named John who was one of Jesus' first followers, uh, even his best friend in life. And they followed him around uh, until, you know, the death and resurrection and all that story. And John lives and takes care of Jesus' mom for a bunch of years, Mary. And then Mary dies, and then John is now kind of leading parts of the church. And because of his faith, he has been taken captive by the Romans and sent into exile in this cool island called Patmos. It's a Greek island. How about that for exile, right? I got sent to a Greek island. Not as cool as it sounds, like there's no trees, it's just rocks, and he's living in a cave. So he's hanging out in this cave, he's doing his daily office for EHS folks, he's doing his daily office. Okay, if you're not in an emotionally healthy spirituality, that's like taking time to get with Jesus. It's not about getting something done, it's just about being in the presence of Jesus. And so John is being in the presence of Jesus, he's getting himself into that presence, he's opening his heart, he's letting his mind wander, letting God speak what he's going to speak, and suddenly, boom, he's having this vision of future things. Jesus says right to him, John, this stuff hasn't happened yet. Write it all down. Get a piece of paper. He's like feverishly writing this stuff that doesn't make sense to him. But he gets this part right here in chapter 7, verses 9 through 12, and this is what we're going to look at, the specific part of this future vision that John has written down uh, by the words of Jesus. And I'm going to read this to you, and it's going to be up behind me as well, but I'm going to be pausing as we go, okay? So don't get too herky-jerky. Just hang on with me, right? So it starts this way. It says, And after this, I looked, and behold. Pause. We're going to stop right there. Behold. That word actually literally means to stand in awe and wonder, okay? Behold is like, we don't say that, right? We don't like, and I went to Subway, and behold, <laughs> the, the presence of the sandwich, you know, 
I went to Black Cypress, and behold, the stake. Okay, maybe the stake, I get that kind of feeling. But behold is this word we don't use, which means to stand in awe and to wonder. In other words, what you are about to see, what you are about to hear, what you are about to receive is so amazing that you're going to be picking your jaw up off the floor. You are going to be bowled over. It is so improbable, so magnificent, so beautiful that it is going to literally blow your mind, okay? That's, that's what John is saying to us here. So, okay, let's press play again. So after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. This, this, is, this number is uncountable, literally. And they're all white folk. No, they are not all white folk. It says, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. This image that, that John is drawing here, he's writing this out, it's an image of heaven, and it's not a colorblind one. It is one that sees the differences of color, but it's unified. We're going to talk about that in a second. It is every pigment in the human canvas, every language and dialect ever devised. You have Russians and Ukrainians, Hutu and Tutsi tribes. You have English people and French people, Iranians and Chinese and Anglo-Americans alongside Native Americans and African Americans and Mexicans and Mayans and Spanish. I mean, clearly this group of people should be fighting right now, right? We should be like, the boxing gloves are on, the guns are out, we are ready to go at one another because it's every tribe, tongue, language, nation, color, and these people don't get along in life, right? But that's not what's happening here. We're ready for the battle, but instead they are standing before the throne and before the Lamb of God. We earned, learned earlier in the book here, we did this series a few years ago, but earlier in the book we kind of understand that that the lamb is an image of Jesus who is coming to judge the living and the dead, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He's, he's, he is standing at the throne in the presence of God. And so this people of every color, of every language, of every culture, when you looked, they're standing before the throne of God, but they are clothed in what? White. It's another code, another image that John's throwing in here. White robes are a symbol of purification, of purity. These people are not ragged with dirt or sin, okay? They're not ragged with the brokenness of their lives, their family mess, their family history, all that stuff, all the stuff that's been passed down to us from generation to generation. That stuff's gone. They can get in the presence of another person, of another color, of another culture, and they, another language, and they can talk to them, and we can understand one another, and we can love one another. That's what this picture is. Purity, wholeness, every color, every tribe, together, clean and pure. So now get this, the gathering of perfected people from all over the world and through history, they are standing before God's throne. Instead of fighting one another, they're, or fa- they're falling down in fear, or, let me say this again, and instead of fighting one another and instead of falling down in fear of the judgment that they're about to receive, instead they're waving palm branches. This image of praise, this this, this, like, we use cell phones, right, at concerts. We turn the light on on our cell phones. That's probably, you know, all the people from the 2000s and the 2017s are out there with their cell phones doing this. And all the people from the first century, they got their palm branches. And they're waving, and it's this picture of this moment of just, like, this is amazing. God's worship, and we are praising the Lord with palm branches waving in their hands. And everybody is crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to Jesus with one unified voice. That's what Catholic means. One voice, one people, one body. This Catholic church, 
They're worshiping Jesus and declaring, declaring that they didn't save themselves. They had nothing to do with it. They couldn't do it if they wanted to. They didn't save themselves. That salvation belongs and comes from Jesus alone. And they're not alone in saying this. Because look at this in verse 11. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. These represent the men and women of the church who had died already. See, and the four living creatures, we got these weird angelic beings going on here. And they're worshiping too. And they all fall down on their faces before the throne of the God. And they're not scared, but they are worshiping. And these creatures are saying, amen, let that be. What they said is true. Amen, I agree with them. And on top of that, let us say something else. All blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. What an image. The nation's at peace. People no longer broken. Relationships no longer broken. Not between people or even between God and people. And they are so in awe of this transformation that has taken place in this place find themselves that the only thing that they can do is worship. It is the only thing that they can do. They find themselves whole. It's where they were broken. That struggle that they had their whole lives. The way that they thought about themselves their whole lives wiped away in an instant. And suddenly it's been replaced with this true, perfect image of who they were intended to be and who they really are. And this is for you and for me. Revelation likes to contrast, contrast things a little bit. And one of the things that the book of Revelations will do if you read through it and you don't get confused because it's a confusing book, is it likes to contrast the riches of heaven with what, with what we really want when we get there. Does that make sense? What it's saying is that people get, get into heaven, they see the riches of heaven. Like, it talks about crystalline seas, and like, the gold is so commonplace, we use it as pavement there. And it talks about mansions and glory and crowns of glory for everybody. And when people get to heaven, and they get there, and they look around, and they're like, wow, that's so amazing. But they get into the presence of God, and suddenly, all of that stuff that sounds so cool to us, that stuff that my grandparents like to sing about. I got a mansion just over the hilltop. They get into the presence of Jesus and they start going, that stuff looks really lousy compared to this. And they start throwing their crowns down before God. They start falling down and worshiping him. Because who God is is so great that there is no worship that I could have that would be costly enough to begin to worship him. And this is where we're heading. This is where we're going. This is the Holy Catholic Church. This is where everything comes to fruition, where everything that is lost is found, where everything that is broken is returned right, and where everything in our heart and our life just wants to worship God. And it sounds really boring from a human perspective, but I imagine when we get there, when we get there, it's all we're going to want to do. It's all we're going to want to do. If we were able to peek like into the mind of God, I think, He's sitting here on this throne. This is this image of this lamb. And I think like you could like crawl in his ear and like go in the brain and look inside there. Kind of weird. Uh, but if you could look, what you would see is that God has been thinking this idea for a very long time. He's been thinking this idea all along since he created the world. If you looked into God's mind, it wouldn't be a bunch of squirrels running around like it is in my mind or... Heidi's mind apparently this morning 
we wouldn't see him focused on the minutia of our lives, right? Like whether or not we ate the proper amount of calories in the day or we said hi to every person that we met or always showing God's love even. Not focused on the minutia of our lives or even the minutia of running the universe, right? Making sure that universes don't collide when they're not supposed to and that suns stay burning while they're supposed to be burning and then supernova when they're supposed to supernova so that gravity works and so that everything holds together as it's supposed to. He's not thinking about that stuff. In this moment, he's thinking about you being there with him. See, God begins with the end in mind. God begins creation with this ending in mind. As he's forming the planets with his word, his mind is set upon this gathering. We can read all across the pages of scripture, but I want to show you something from the book of Micah in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, you want to flip over there. We're done in Revelation for now. We're going to look at Micah real briefly chapter 4, and that's a hard one to find because it's tucked into these little things called minor prophets, and it's not because they're like less powerful or important, it's just they're smaller. So it's a little tiny book. Um, Go to Matthew and hang a left, and you'll find it in there somewhere. Micah 4, 10, 4, 1 through 10. We don't have tons of time, so I'm going to put this up on the screen back here, and I want to read it to you from the message translation. I know some of you guys, like, it gets you upset. You're like, come on, stick with one translation. I'm reading it in this one, and it's all different. I get lost, so maybe just focus on the screen if you have to or whatever. But uh, Eugene Peterson, who is the translator of the message, he took the Greek and the Hebrew, and he took it, and he translated it into modern English, and I love how he said this particular passage, and I wanted to share it with you. So check this out. When all is said and done, God's temple on the mountain, firmly fixed, will dominate all the mountains towering above surrounding hills. People will stream to it, And many nations set out for it, saying, Come, let us climb the mountain of God. Let's go to the temple of Jacob's God. He will teach us how to live. We'll know how to live God's way. True teaching will issue from Zion, God's revelation from Jerusalem. He'll establish justice in the rabble of the nations and settle dispute in faraway places. They'll trade in their swords for shovels, their spears for rakes and hoes. Nations will quit fighting each other, quit learning to kill one another. Each man will sit under his own, his own state tree. Is that the right word? Anyway, shade tree is what it's supposed to say. I'm not sure how I got state here, but his own shade tree. Each woman in safety will tend her own garden. God of the angel armies says so, and he means what he says. Meanwhile, all the other peoples live however they wish, picking and choosing their gods. Sounds familiar? But we live honoring God. And we're loyal to our God forever and ever. On that great day, God says, I will round up all the hurt and the homeless. Everyone I have bruised or banished, I will transform the battered into a company of the elite. I will make a strong nation out of the long lost, a showcase exhibit of God's rule and action. As I rule from Mount Zion, from here to eternity, and you stragglers around Jerusalem, eking out a living in shanty towns, the glory that once was will be again. Jerusalem's daughter will be the kingdom center. The people who this was written to originally would have seen this much like you and I do in some ways. Super hopeful, right? All the broken things. You mean I'm part of that ragged people on the edge? God's going to bring me into the center of it? God's going to heal me and God's going to restore me? They would see this as super hopeful like we do, but for different reasons. Because the book of Micah is written into the exile. And that's a time in history when the people of Israel have been taken out of Jerusalem 
out of Israel. The city has been sacked. The walls have been destroyed. The temple is destroyed and laying barren. The worship is dead. The priests have been killed, and they have been drug off into exile, and they are sitting hundreds of miles away. And God's saying, look, I'm going to restore all that. That's hopeful. But what God is saying here is something more than what they think. God is going to restore all that we just lost is what they're thinking, but God has something bigger in his mind than just a restoration of Israel. Did you notice that the nations quit fighting each other? It's not just Israel is not being fought against anymore. It's all of the nations are going to quit fighting each other. In fact, their weapons of mass destruction, they're pointless because of this peace that has come. So they turn them all into useful things like garden tools. We see people streaming from all over the world to the mountain of the Lord to learn his way of life. And it ends by saying this, that Jerusalem's daughter will be the kingdom's center. That's kind of a weird phrase. Jerusalem's daughter will be kingdom center. In other words, something that is birthed in Jerusalem, that is birthed out of Jerusalem, will be the location of all of the peace and restoration in the world. In the middle of Israel's worst moment, God is saying, Look, I've got you. I've got your back. I'm taking care of you. I'm working out an ending that I've had in mind since the beginning, and you won't believe it. And here is where we were going to. This is where we're going, Israel. This is where we're going, people of Pullman Foursquare. Hold on. Then about 400 years after this is written, Jesus is born in a little town called Bethlehem. When he's about 30, he begins his ministry with this statement. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, sight for the blind, and to bind up the brokenhearted. It sounds like God rounding up all of the hurt, homeless, battered, and bruised in Micah. He goes about declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand, not coming, but is at hand. And one day, as his disciples started to figure out who Jesus is, he starts to say, guys, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, and you guys remember this from a few weeks ago, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? We have this confession from Peter. What did Jesus respond to Peter with this with? If you're familiar with the text, you know that Jesus said, You are Peter. He says that to the guy named Peter. He changes his name in that moment. He was Simon, now he's Peter, which means rock. And he says, And on this rock I will build my... On this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. In this moment, we learn something really important about the church. We learn something really important about this end-time people, this gathering from Micah, this gathering that we see in Revelation, that the church is not built upon, that the church is built upon people. It's not buildings. It's not temples. It's not worship practices. Another way to say this is, a cool building does not a church make. A cool building does not a church make. And I will confess to you that I've had that backwards before. I have. When I was interviewing to come to this church, I was asked, hey, would you buy that church building? Would you buy that old theater to use as your church? And I said, yes, I would. Cool building equals cool church. Bink. But I didn't look at this passage because Jesus doesn't say, and on this Cordova movie theater, I will build my church. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. On this man who is standing here. I will build my church. The church is not a building. It's a gathering of people. That's what the church is. You are the church. You didn't go to church this morning. You came and were a part of the church. You are the church. 
So Jesus keeps God's plan rolling. He's moving toward this Revelation Micah picture. His death makes it possible for people to stand before God clean and forgiven. He becomes our peace so that we can be at peace with one another. And at this point, the church is still just a few scared people hiding in an apartment, right? Twelve disciples, maybe 70, 80 followers hiding in this upstairs apartment somewhere in Jerusalem. This is where we've caught up right now in the creed, right, to, to Audrey's sermon last week. So Jesus tells his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are waiting in a dark upper room. They're praying and they're waiting. And suddenly two things happen. And you'll remember what I said earlier in worship. Fire and wind. Fire and wind happen. It's an explosive combo, right? That's what we saw in California. Fire and wind, an explosive com- uh, combo. You, you have an ember and you wait a couple weeks and that fire blazes up. The Spirit comes with fire upon people and wind that blows and fans those flames into a blaze. And it ignites an entire city on fire for the kingdom of God. You remember what happened in Acts 2 last week, the gathering of Jesus followers. They began to declare the works of God in the languages of the people that were around them. Suddenly, language isn't a barrier anymore, right? Remember Revelation? Every tribe, every creed, every color, every nation gathered together before God. They understand one another. Right here in Acts chapter 2, the people can speak each other's language because the Spirit has come upon them and gifted them and removed the barriers from one another so that they can hear the works of God. People from different cultures and nations, people who were big-time enemies in this moment, like they should be killing each other. Their nations are fighting. They're at war, and they are standing together, and they all hear the works of God in their language. And at the end of the day, 3,000 people come to faith. Suddenly, the church explodes. Why? It's not a model of effective ministry, guys. It's not a model that that they put down in the Bible so that every pastor could go and, and study it and understand exactly how to reproduce that. This is a move of the Holy Spirit that is unique in time and history, and it released something that went across the world, and here is really what's happening. If I learned this as a tree worker. If the boss wants you to do a job, he's going to give you the tools to do it. If he's a good boss, if he wants you to build a house, he's going to give you a hammer, and he's going to give you some wood, and he's going to give you some other laborers, and a saw. If he wants you to cut a tree down, he's going to give you a chainsaw. If he wants you to build the church in this world, he is going to give you the tools to make that happen. And that is exactly what happened in this moment. Jesus said, you guys are going to build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. Here's the tools. Here's the power. Here's the authority. Here's the gifts. Here is the Holy Spirit. Boom! The church was born. And guess where it was born? In Jerusalem. The daughter of Jerusalem will be the center of the kingdom focus. Suddenly, the daughter that was born in Jerusalem, the church, is the kingdom center. This church is the center of the kingdom. When Jesus was with them, the kingdom center was him. He was the one doing all the healing. He was the one doing the preaching. He was the one giving sight to the blind. He was the one feeding people. Yeah, the disciples were involved a little bit, but Jesus is gone, and boom, the Holy Spirit has come. And guess what happened? The kingdom center is on those people in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And guess what's happened? That wind of the Spirit has blown to this day to make one holy Catholic church The Spirit is still alive. The Spirit is still gifting. The Spirit is still working. The Spirit is still empowering you to be the church. The kingdom center. And when we walk into the streets, the kingdom is at hand. It is still at hand. Jesus Jesus starts the church, but the Holy Spirit, fire, supercharges it. 
And then persecution scatters it across the globe. And the Spirit's wind and fire is blazing right through those people, right through the ages, right through the persecution, right to this very day in this church. The Creed says that our church is holy. This daughter of Jerusalem is holy. Words matter, right? Is holy. According to the Creed, we are the people of Revelation in white robe. There's this great theological idea called the already but not yet, right? You guys have said this before. Like, things have already happened in the spiritual world, but not yet in life. It captures our reality of life in Jesus, because Jesus' work on the cross has happened. I'm already free of sin, and yet I still struggle with sin, with envy, with pride, with jealousy. I'm already free as far as God's concerned, but from my vantage point in history, which I don't have God's vantage point, from my vantage point in history, I am not yet there. Instead, I'm in this, what EHS, in our EHS class, we call the awkward in-between, right? I'm not, still not this old person that I was, but I'm not yet made new. And I'm in this awkward in-between. It's like adolescence, right? How many of you remember adolescence? I know some of you are kind of, yeah, some of you are like, I'm living it, man, I'm living it. I'm there, like, my feet don't fit, you know? It's not my shoes that don't fit, it's my feet. They're bigger than my body can control. My voice, it cracks, there's pimples every other day, and then one goes away, and there's another one back, and it's awkward, and it's hard, and I'm trying to figure out, I'm not, not yet, a, I'm not a kid anymore, but not yet an adult, and I don't know how to act, and I'm learning, and I'm growing, and it's messy, and that is where we're at. We're not yet Revelations chapter 7. We're not yet Micah chapter 4. We're not this holy priesthood of nations gathered together perfect and spotless and, and holy. We're, we're still one of the most segregated people on the planet on Sunday morning. We're not every nation and tribe coming together. But as awkward as it is, the New Testament teachings tell us that here in the church is the location of kingdom life where the work of the Spirit is taking place. And it's here that we learn to become those people. So that someday we're not in shock when we stand before God. So that we learn how to be with one another in the here and now. That's why the Bible says things like, love one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Submit to one another. Commit to one another. Build trust with one another. You can't do any of these things alone because they all have that one another at the end of it. You go into a cave by yourself and learn to trust somebody. Go into a cave by yourself and encourage somebody. Go into a cave someplace and help somebody. You can't do them alone. Be devoted to one another. Be patient with one another. These things are impossible to, to do by just showing up. You can't just be someplace in order to have these one another's happen in your life and in the lives of other people. You have to belong. There's something deeper that happens when we gather together. This isn't a, this isn't just like, you know, extracurricular activity to come to church on Sunday. It's not. Christians throughout the ages have gathered together to live the life of faith together, and it happens here. You have to belong to get the kind of depth that the God of the Bible is calling us into in Revelations chapter 7. And you might be thinking, the church is a complete mess. And guess what? You are dead right you're thinking, that's a mess. I can't join that. Yes, it's a mess. It's awkward. It's messy. And it's sometimes, okay, let's be honest, most of the time painful. But if it wasn't a mess, then there wouldn't be a place for me. 
And there wouldn't be a place for you because I'm a mess too. And my experiences is so are most of you. The church is full of broken people. So can I just say this this morning? Please, please, please don't be surprised when you get hurt by somebody in the church. The church is full of broken people. The church is full of messy people because those are the people that Jesus has come for. People on the edges, the broken, the tattered, the, the ragged, the run down, the dispossessed, the marginalized. Those are the people that Jesus is coming for, making an elite people out of. So don't be surprised because you've been warned, right? My one warning for you for the rest of history, you know, anytime somebody's surprised, now, I'm just say, hey, look, I warned you. I didn't come to church that Sunday. I wasn't there. I'm sorry. It's happened. You've been warned. So here's my question for you. If the church is holy and the church is becoming what God has called it to, are you pressing into the church or are you running from it? Are you pressing into the church or are you running from it? If you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling with sin, running away and thinking that once those things are gone and taken care of, I can come back and be a part of the people of God, it never works. Because healing doesn't happen alone in a cave. Restoration doesn't happen alone in your apartment. It happens amongst God's people. It happens when we press in with one another, when we're honest with our doubts and with our struggles and with our failures with one another, when we dive into community to be honest with our doubt and our fear and our sin, because when we're honest with those things, suddenly they're taken out of the dark, they're brought in the light, and guess what happens? We're set free. They don't have power over us anymore. It's exactly opposite of what we often do. Finally, the creed declares that the church is Catholic. But it looks nothing like the picture in Revelation, right? In fact, again, most churches, are the, Sunday is the most segregated time in America. We have black people in one church. We have Mexican people in another church. We have Korean people in another church. We have Chinese people in another church. We have white people that gather in this one place, and three or four brave souls from other cultures will come join them. It is a very segregated time. And it's not because of policy. It's just because it's easier to be with people just like you. But the reality is that in Jesus, we are more alike than we are different. Because God is transforming us. There are those churches across town here that don't believe like us. They pray to Mary. They don't believe in raising your hands in church. They have a set liturgy that is very written, wrote down for centuries, and they read through it each week. They're different. There are super rigid churches, and there are super, like, loosey-goosey churches where the Bible doesn't mean much of anything. There are churches where women can't teach or preach. In fact, there's lots of those. Like, we're one of few that can. So, go women. There are churches where you can't raise your hands, and there are churches where you have to wave a flag. We're not either of those. Can I just answer this, how is the church possibly Catholic now? in the midst of that? I want to answer it with two things. First of all, God is not finished with the church yet. We serve a God who began a good work in the world and is not done, and he is not going to leave it until it's finished. And secondly, I think it's time for the church to stop chewing on its own wounded leg. It's time for this church to stop chewing on the parts that are wounded or the parts that are not like what we think it should look like and start looking toward Revelation chapter 7 and start being the people of Revelation chapter 7 and start healing one another, start loving one another, start caring for one another, 
praying for one another. Look, folks, there are lots of churches right here in this town that believe deeply in the Word of God and preach it faithfully and are gospel-centered people. They're telling the good news of Jesus Christ around this city. There are lots of great churches like it, and I'm like all for them. I love every single one of them, even though some of them are weird. By my standards, they are. Even though some of them hurt some of the people in this church. Well, guess what, folks? I've warned you. You're going to get hurt in the church. If it happened there, it'll probably happen here. Let's hang on. Let's start praying for those churches instead of tearing them down. We're on the same team. We read the same Bible. Maybe we see certain parts of it differently, but it's the same Bible. And the reality of my belief is that 80% of it is dead on, 20% of it is complete heresy, and the worst part is I don't know which is which. And neither do you. We won't know until we get into heaven, right? We're going to stand before God and we're going to go, oh, shoot, I got that one wrong. They had it so right. I missed it. And Jesus could be like, yeah, it's okay, buddy. Let's go. I love you. Despite all of our differences, we must strive to remain connected as a body. All the division of belief and culture, they, it wants to keep us divided. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to pull us apart. But our belief in the scripture teaches us that God is trying to unite us, to pull us together. The 3,000 added to that church that day in Acts, it wasn't just the people that said, I raised my hand and now I'm in. These are people that said, I raised my hands, I believe in Jesus, I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit, I'm now prophesying over a man I've never met before. I am now serving people I've never seen before in my life. I am taking my wealth, I am selling it so that I can feed people who are starving right here in my own city who love Jesus too. They transformed radically their behaviors. And they started gathering together in the local temple to hear the word of God preached. They gathered in homes to be in one another's lives, to eat together, to hear the word of God, to worship. And much, not much later, like this is less, less than a year, we're seeing ministries pop up all over the city where the poor and the widows are being taken care of and the, the, the hungry are being fed. There's so much in this world to divide us. And yet, in the word of God, through Jesus, there's so much that brings us together. There's so much shame and suffering and loneliness in this world. The church should not be a part of that. We should not be the ones bringing more shame into the world. We should not be bringing more condemnation into the world. We should not be bringing more division into the world. The church should be known by their love. So the question that we're faced with all this is, am I building enough buffer in my life to be a part? That's where I come down to the end of all of this. Am I actually building enough into my life to be a part of what God has been doing? A part of Revelations chapter 7. A part of Micah 4. To be a part of this holy nation. To be a part of this church. African American church. Korean church. Baptist church. Pentecostal church. Episcopal church. Catholic church. Big C Catholic church. The holy Catholic church. All of us together. The body of Christ. Here and now in this location. In this city. Are you making enough space and buffer in your life so that you can really belong, not just sit and have a part of it? Statistics show that on any given Sunday, 30% of the church gathers nationwide. Congratulations on being average. And I'm not talking about taking time away from you with your family. Some of you were like, hey, wait, you weren't here last week. Get away with your family once in a while. Go for it. Go take time to go to Disneyland. I don't, you know, that's great. But 
take time to belong, to be deeply rooted, to be deeply connected, to come and be a part of this family, and to participate in what we're doing in Revelations chapter 7, which is when we gather, and some guy or gal or anybody gets an instrument up here, and we start singing, we're Revelation 7-ing together. We are worshiping God with costly worship. We set aside needs like, oh, i got to get the lawn taken care of. Uh, I'm so busy this last week, I didn't get to all my studying, and I need to study. Set a priority. The church hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's still the center of kingdom life in this world, and it's still the place where the Spirit is empowering people to speak different languages and to mature in love and to grow in faith and to be healed of all of our wounds and all of our sicknesses and all of our diseases, to have the, the dirt and the sin washed away from us in the presence of God with one another and to be clothed in white. That is still happening here and now. Even if you can't see it with your eyes, the Lord is working on us. It's not extracurricular activity for a believer. It's what forges us into a great multitude of a holy people, unified, worshiping the Lord, their risen King, their salvation, Jesus. And I want to take a moment to behold that church. To stand in awe and wonder at you guys. At what God has been creating and what you are a part of. We're going to take a moment in silence and just allow Jesus to speak to us. And as we do, I want the worship team to come ahead and come up. We're going to take the moment in silence here because we're going to close with a song. We're already a couple minutes over. I want to take a moment to hear what Jesus has to say to you, to me. Really listen in silence. We'll take a full minute and listen and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about this holy Catholic church which you are now sitting in the presence of. Jesus, we invite you to speak to us. We may hear what we need to hear in this moment, that you would speak your truth to us. And God, I pray that you give us the courage to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. speak to me as I was preparing this message. Love my bride as you love me. If you don't understand that metaphor, the Apostle Paul refers to the church as the bride of Christ. The gathering of believers across the globe, the Catholic church, the Episcopal church, the evangelical churches, the Baptist churches, and yes, even us, Foursquare church, the royal we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus has been saying to me, you need to treat my bride like you treat me. Love my bride like you love me. Can we close this morning by imagining ourselves a part of that gathering of people? At the end of all things, 
You may be a different color from the person next to you. You may speak a different language or come from a different cultural background. You may be a millennial or a baby boomer or a Gen Y or whatever that last generation is. Um, But right now, you are a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a family. And we stand in awe of the one who saves us. Amen? Just stand with me. We're going to close with this song.